Amen. Hey, uh, last week, if you were here, raise your hand. All right, how many guys went home and looked up the Shanzi earthquake? Praise God, none of you. At least you're honest today. That's good. Well, let's see if you can get this one. Let's, let's try this one out, all right? Some say it came from a tropical monkey, right? Others say it was a government-planned disease that was released upon the public. But wherever it came from, the facts are this. Right now, tens of millions of people have it, and worldwide millions are getting it every single year. In fact, in 1998 alone, the combined wars in Africa killed 200,000 people, but this virus killed 10 times more than that. And now the infections are being spread uh, even through things like the blood or body fluids, even breast milk. It's everywhere and anybody can get it. And it all starts off with a, a seemingly simple headache and, and then all of a sudden it turns into a fever. But that, that leads into a, a case of sore muscles and a stomach ache. And in fact, most people think it's just merely a, a case of the flu, but it's not. This killer virus is there. It's multiplying in your body. It's starting to destroy your immune system. And the next thing you know, this disease is full-blown, whereupon the person's last days are typically spent dying from a multitude of ways, such as pneumonia, skin cancer, tumors, and even eating your body alive. Oh, you might live for several years, you might die in a few days, but with medication, you might be able to slow it down, but it's still a matter of time, you're going to die. Why? Because there is no cure. The year is 2018. The killer virus is HIV AIDS. Whoa. Don't even talk about that very much anymore, do we? But it's still out there doing its deadly thing, unfortunately. But again, folks, you know the theme. I think we've all heard of the AIDS virus, okay? Okay, I'm not here to uh, make fun of that or anything. That's a serious issue, okay? And you know the theme. With all due respect for those who have lost their lives with the AIDS virus, what if I were to tell you, I know of a disaster that makes the AIDS virus look like a mild case of acne in comparison. Again, with all due respect, Okay, and folks, what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur in just one place in one country at one time? It's going on right now, today, all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction, not just in our generation, but for centuries. Folks, once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And again, the facts are this. We Christians need to wake up. We do not go to battle here and there once in a while. We go to war every single day. And whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, you entered into, whether you like it or not, you entered into a spiritual war against a real-life demonic host whose sole purpose every single day, 24-7, is out there to get you to destroy your walk and your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. And so in order for you and I to stop getting duped and unnecessarily so, is the key phrase there, unnecessarily so, beat up and duped all over the place, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen if you're going to win that war, what do you got to do? It's common sense, right? You got to know who your enemy is. This is real stuff. It's not make-believe. The second thing, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. The fifth thing, the temptation of your enemy. And last time we begin the final one, and that's the sixth thing, the protection, praise God, from the enemy, right? It's not just he's out there and, okay, good luck. <laughs> no, praise God. As we saw, God has not left us hanging high and dry when it comes to dealing with the deity battle that we're in with what? With real, live, demonic forces out there set against us. What we begin to see is the armor of God. God has given us his full-blown protection with his amazing weaponry that we can listen, stand our ground, and be victorious in what? Every single situation, not some, all of them, every single time. If you just do what God says, we have that victory in Christ. Isn't that awesome? Okay, now what we saw is the armor of God is designed for war. Hello. Again, this is not some fashion statement. Hey, look at me. Look at my armor. My armor's cooler than yours, Bobby. Hey, my armor's cooler. No, what, what's it designed for? Armor is designed for war. Okay, and we saw that in two ways last time if you were here. The context of Scripture, how many times does God got to say battle, fight, struggle, war, soldier, weapons, right? We are in a war. This is not a cakewalk. That's mistake number one that people make. Okay, when it comes to the armor of God. Number two, we saw also the unfortunate news, the catastrophe of the churches. Remember that? We took a look at the seven churches, right? Even Ephesus, to whom this passage on the armor of God was written to, how they survived? They didn't. They went out of existence. Even the actual church who first heard this message about the good news of the armor of God to stand firm in all situations, they didn't. Why? Because they didn't take it serious. And once you start to go down that route that they did, you lose your first love for Jesus, it goes downhill from there. Five out of the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, five out of seven went belly up. Why? 
And I think a lot of it has to do, they didn't take this serious. We are in a war. This is designed for war. The armor of God is designed for war, and we've got to do what God says to do. Now, that's the, that's the challenging news to wake up. It's designed for war. The awesome news on top of that, it's like icing on the cake. The second thing we see about the armor is it's designed for what? It's designed to freak you out. It's designed to make you scared. Don't you ever come out of your house. No! Yes, we're in a war. Bingo. It's to use it for victory. God gives us his armor so we're not a bunch of losers, right? Turn to somebody and say, don't be a loser. Get the armor on. That's what it's for, okay? Now, as we saw last week, this is the good news, right? Notice the key phrase there. It's the armor of Bobby. No, sorry. That's what you get for sitting on the front row, right? No, it's Mary's armor. Everybody go to Mary's house and grab some armor. She's whipping it out. No, no. It's the armor of God. Now stop and think about what that means. It's not my armor. It's not your armor. It's not the armor you get at Walmart and it's made pretty shoddy and it falls apart three days later. <laughs> no, it's what? It's God's armor. It's the actual armor of God. So guess what? That means, listen, if you just do what he says, you cannot lose. Why? It's not my armor. It's God's armor. God never loses. And he gives us his armor. So what does that tell us? It's designed for victory. Okay, how many guys can figure that out without any help? Praise God. Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm here to help you out. Okay, uh, we're going to find that out. Okay, so let's go back and take a look at this great news that God has not just given us his armor because we're in a war. He's given it so we can win. He wants us to experience that victory. So let's get back to that text there, Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, we're going to take a look. Not the whole passage. Last week was just kind of an overview. Now we're going to begin to start shredding it apart. First three verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, the armor of God. Why does he give it to us? Okay, is it really for victory? Uh-huh, I think so. But let's read that text again. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word. Here's what it says. Now, finally, remember what that means? It's kind of like a therefore. If you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's it? Therefore, right? So finally, so what's the context? He says, here's our position in Christ we saw last week. Here's how you to put that into practice. So guess what? You live the Christian life. Finally, you better get ready for some war because somebody doesn't want you to do that, right? So finally, what do you do? Be strong in who? The Lord and in his what? Mighty power. Ooh, wait till we get to that. Put on the what? Full armor of God so that you can, not maybe, not might, can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because here's what you're up against, Christian. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? To Sam. Well, now you can be seated. <laughs> we did some standing. But uh, what we see here again is the reason why we need the armor of God. Okay? Yes, we're in a war, but what? The armor of God gives us the ability to stand strong, to stand consistency in what? In the mighty power of God. Number two, it gives us the ability to effectively struggle. Remember that word from last week we saw in the Greek? What's it mean? Our struggle? It's hand-to-hand -hand combat with the, the goal is to put your foot on somebody's neck so they would die and get the death penalty, right? That's what we're struggling against. It gives us the ability to effectively struggle to come out on top against the evil ones that really are coming our way, not if, but when it happens, okay? Then we saw it's also give us the ability to stand our ground, listen, Christian, not to buckle, not to break under spiritual pressure, not to bend when it comes to spiritual attacks, and that when it's all said and done, when the dust settles, we're still standing. Unlike we saw the five out of seven churches last week. But in short, as we can see here, in those three verses there, the armor of God is designed for victory. Amen? Okay, and we're going to see that in a couple of ways. And the first way we see that is the need for victory. Let's start tearing those three uh, verses apart, okay? And we're actually going to start with the problem, right? There is a need for victory. Why? Because tucked right in the middle of these three verses is the reason why, right? And here's what we see here. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle, hand-to-hand -hand combat in the Greek, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
right? And so Paul is very clear here. He tells us the reason why God is providing victory for us. We've seen this week after week after week. Why is he giving us the armor in the first place? Why are we to stand strong in God's mighty power? Why are we to put on the armor of God as we saw in the Greek? You put it on, you put it on now, and you leave it on. Why? Because of that. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, whether you see it or not, Christian, not all of our struggles are just natural. It's supernatural. It's not just people. It's demonic. It's not just people being oppressed demonically. Some of them are internally possessed. But that's the battle. It's not just flesh and blood. It's supernatural. It's real life demons there. Now, the key phrase that delineates that in the phrase there is the word against. Did you notice that? It's against. It's against. It's against. And he starts to categorize it. It's against demonic powers. It's against demonic entities. And they work against us in a hierarchical structure. Did you notice that? It didn't just say demons. He literally broke it down into different categories. And each individual category apparently is against us. This section of demons is against us. This section is against us. This section is against Do you get it? Now, on one hand, that really shouldn't surprise us. Because when you take a look at angels, okay, demons are the fallen category. Originally, God created them differently, just like with people. Different classifications. Let me give you a little, little test on that, right? Uh, first of all, we see there's a category of angels called seraphim. Okay, you see that in Isaiah chapter 6. There's another category called cherubim. Okay, you see that in Genesis, Exodus, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, and some other passages. I'm not going to name them all, okay? But there's seraphim. That's a category. There's cherubim. You see just angels in general, okay? Uh, Old and New Testament, there's too many passages to name, but you see that. You also see archangels, right? So another category, if you will. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, Jude chapter 1. And then you see this hierarchical structure uh, busted out in uh, Ephesians 6. Rulers, principalities, or powers. Again, depending on your translation there, that's one category. Uh, authorities, powers, or world forces. Again, depending on your translation. Powers of this dark world, rulers of the darkness of this world, or forces of darkness. Again, depending on your translation. And finally, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some say spiritual wickedness in high places. Another translation forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, right? So as you can see, angels are what? They come in different categories, right? Different functions, apparently. We're not always told exactly how that breaks down, but we're told that there's a different hierarchical structure, okay? Now, it's the same thing when it comes to demons. So let's go back towards the beginning of our study on spiritual warfare, and let's remind ourselves, well, that's just angels in general. What about these fallen angels? Well, what's he talking about? Well, let's go back and do that little, little uh, test we did before. Where did they come from? Just get into our context here. Well, first of all, angels, okay, uh, the Hebrew word malak just means messenger. When you see it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word angelos. means messenger as well. That's all it is. It just means a messenger, right? Originally, all angels were good. They were messengers of God. Well, it got messed up. We'll get to that in a second. Now they're into two different categories, two main categories. You have the good ones, the holy, unfallen, elect angels. We see that First Timothy 5, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, the good ones, the ones that stayed with God, right? Then we got the unholy, the fallen, uh, or what we call demons, okay? Satan, of course, fell. He's the one that started the rebellion. Isaiah 14, he was an angel, right? Isaiah 14, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn you have been cast down to the earth you who once laid low the nations you said in your heart here's the rebellion i will ascend to heaven i will raise my throne above the stars of god i will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost high sacred mountain i will ascend above to the tops of the cloud i will make myself like the most high how many guys would say satan had an eye problem <laughs> and you've heard me say this i'm blue in the face the number one rule of satanism the number one law is do what I will do what you will shall be the whole law. All this I business, self comes first, self-love, self, self, self. That's what caused the fall of Satan. And then you wonder why everybody's growing up acting like little devils. We're teaching to be Satanists. Right? Go back to the scripture. Right? Well, but guess what? The job's not open, Satan. But you were brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit. Well, he didn't keep him to himself. Apparently, there was a rebellion that went on, and he took one-third of the angels with him. They became, as we saw before, the unfallen, or the fallen angels, the demons. Okay, we see that Revelation 12, 12, 4. His tale, in the context, speaking of Satan, swept a third of the stars, angels, out of the sky, and flung them to the earth. Right? So that's where you got that. Now, where are they at now? This is what Paul is dealing with here in Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? Well, you got some that are bound, and they ain't ever getting out. 
right? That's a classification here. Then you got some that are active. Now, those are the ones that we still have to deal with today. Those are the ones that Paul's referring to here in Ephesians 6 in the armor of God. Now, the ones that are bound, some of them, it's a permanent binding, right? We see that in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 6. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, literally Tartarus, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, right? Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he kept in chains of darkness, bound for everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So there's some demons that are permanently bound, they ain't ever getting out, right? As we saw before in Genesis 6, some of the things that went on in the days of Noah. Now, some are bound right now, but guess what? They temporarily get to be leased upon the planet in the seven-year tribulation as an act of judgment of God. The, de- the planet is going to be covered with demons during that time. You don't want to be there. And we see that Revelation 9, right? When he opened the abyss, the abusa, smoke rose up from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth. They had tails and stings like scorpions. And their tails had power to torment people for five months. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind going to be a horrible time. Man, you need to get saved if you're not saved, right? But guess what? There's still some loose, if you will, on the planet, okay? They're not a loose cannon on the deck, okay? But they're still loose. That's what Paul is talking about today. Our struggle is against this, not just flesh and blood. This is the entities that we got to deal with, right? It's not against flesh and blood. It's against these guys, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So what do you do? Put on that full armor of God so that when they come after you, what are you going to do? You're going to be able to not have to freak out. Just stand. Stand your ground, right? But I got to throw this one in there. Guess what? Loser. <laughs> every one of you lose, man. Because Jesus said, every one of you are going into, including Satan, the lake of fire. Praise God. Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who curse into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, i.e. the demons, okay? Now again, so if you study the scripture, Paul talking about these, this struggle, what are we up against? He's starting to bring it down into a hierarchical structure of these demons. When you look at angels in general, that shouldn't surprise us. But what is the point in that? He tells us this is real. And these entities really are working in a hierarchical fashion in order together against us. Do you get it? They work together. Demons work together. But they work together what? Against us. There's a need for victory is what he has there. This is not a game. Our battle, he says, is not against flesh and blood. It's real life demonic forces working in a hierarchical faction every single day. And one guy says, the sooner you realize this, Christian, the better. Okay? One guy, he puts it this way. He says, notice the word there in this passage, against right? It separates each of the categories. You got principalities, you've got powers, you're, you're against rulers, you're against wicked spirits, okay? Basically, this is categories of demonic beings. We are fighting a superhuman foe, highly and intensely organized. You get that? In God's order, originally, he created the angels organized. God created all the angels at one time. He created them differently, apparently, just like people are different. Angels are different. There's all kinds of angels. That means that, guess what? Demons have distinctions too. He says, in fact, I believe that behind the scenes, the ruling world are demonic forces. People are always asking, do you believe in those conspiracy theories where there's real life, actual demons behind the scenes, you know, moving and he Absolutely. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind there is a global conspiracy in which demons are involved in high places working the world to their own ends. There's no question about that. Demons are behind the systems of the world. The Old Testament says the gods of the nations are demons. He says there's no question that in my mind that there were, we may not have seen them. I've heard stories about it though personally if you've done the research. He says you may not have seen it but there were demons behind people like Hitler. There's no question in mind that they're very active in other world rulers in the past like Napoleon or Alexander the Great on and on. Satan is the prince of this world. He has infiltrated this world with a network of world rulers that are demonic and the way that the world is going is because of this demonic influence. And he said, I remember talking to a young man who came out of the occult. 
And he was making the, into the high ranks there, high, high levels, and got into all kinds of opportunities in the occult, and they started giving him some high-level information. And he said at one point they were telling them and teaching him about a demonic network of how demons were involved in all kinds of things. Then they even began to give him the name of certain demons that were involved in the United Nations, and certain demons that were occupying themselves in various continents and various countries. And he told me things that were beyond my comprehension. In fact, if you go to the UN, we dealt with this on our Wednesday night study. If you go to the UN, the UN has a meditation room. There is a spirit, a demonic spirit that is governing that body, folks. And it, oh, by the way, do you need to look much further? Anybody that's anti against Israel, who do you think's behind that? So, folks, this is real. And he says that, listen, there is no doubt about this biblically. Because that's what we're seeing here. They're really out there in this hierarchical fashion working, getting involved, doing this stuff. And he says, so what we're saying is this, we are in a warfare against somebody, a supernatural foe that is sophisticated. They are a high-ranking, powerful demons who are principalities and powers. There's others who have found themselves to be occupying places of world leadership. They indwell world rulers. The battle lines are drawn, and it's against this incredible force that we fight as Christians. We're pitted against an enemy that is beyond us. We can't see them. We can't touch them. We can't outthink, outwit. They are deceiving. They're liars. They're powerful. They're supernatural, superhuman. This is where the battle lies, and the reason why God says to put the armor on now and leave it on is because of this. And aren't you glad he told you? Instead of wondering, why, how come? He doesn't just tell us. He gives us the solution for the victory. You put that armor on. He says, and again, the sooner you realize this, the better off you're going to be. But this is what we see, folks. Okay, you got to get that armor on. You got to leave it on. Why? Because it's designed for victory. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to run. You don't have to be scared, Christian. How many times have we seen that? You just take God's provision and experience the victory, right? We are against, listen, demonic forces every single day, Christian. We may not be involved in the government. We may not be involved in the UN. We may not be involved in all that kind of stuff. But we're everyday life, they're after, what's the word there? Against us too. Especially in the context of Ephesians, if you're really living for Jesus. Really against you. Oh, and by the way, if you're a Christian and you're not living for Jesus, they already got you. What's the old phrase? Uh, it's supposed to be from Adrian Rogers, right? If you got no persecution, no friction, no spiritual friction in your walk, Christian, no heat, everything's just happy chappy all the time, maybe it's because you and the devil are going the same direction, right? But this is what we're dealing with. They disrupt, they discourage, they deceive, they discomfort, they disarm, they dissatisfy, they dissuade, they distract, they disappoint, they disgruntle, they disharden, they dishevel, they distress, they disqualify, they disquiet, they dispossess, they disturb, they destroy, they divide Christians and churches. Paul is in essence saying, Christian, we've got to wake up. There is a need for victory here. The enemy's not just real. He's really out there. They're really working against us, listen, in a unified fashion. Why? Because listen, even the devil knows the power of a unified, working together, lock and step force. He's just using that unity with the demons for his evil ends. But the devil knows the power of a unified body, a group of entities. And so here's my point. Is it any wonder? That's what you're getting just from verse 12. Is it any wonder that the enemy works so hard at getting us Christians and the church what? Not in unity. Not in harmony. We're all divided. We're all pieced up. We're all disorganized. It's, we're all in disarray. It's the exact opposite of what Christ has called us to be, to be one in him. Even the devil knows the power of a unified force. And so don't kid yourself. If you're experiencing division in your personal walk with Jesus Christ, it ain't just natural. If you're experiencing division in your marriage, if you're experiencing division and disarray, disorganization in your home, in your church, guess what? I'll guarantee it's not natural. The enemy knows the power all too well being unified. He uses that unity against us. And if you don't think the enemy really does this, you might want to listen to this interview, right? Let's take a look at this guy. Well, hello, Satan. Grab your shawl. Oh, oh. No. every time. Wish every I could time. say it was good to see you, but I can't. Feelings mutual, so we're good. 
Can you get rid of that cookie? You know we're fasting for one. You, I'm one sorry, you want to go halfsies on this? No, no. You're fasting? No. I had no idea. You know what I'm going to say to you? I know, get thee behind me or something like that. I was curious, when it comes to the church, mm -hmm. what, what's your strategy? I'm growing to like the church, honestly. Uh, you know, they, they stay mad at each other half the time. They hate each other. They hate the rest of the world. So, I mean, I sit back and watch the fights like everybody else. You know what I'm talking about? So you're pretty good at division in the church. H how is it that you pull this off? One of the easiest ways to make somebody just think that they're right, that they're completely and totally right. Another big thing, Bible versions. Everyone knows, myself included, King James is the only way to go. Uh, it's what I have in my personal library. I don't read it. I need to set the record straight on that. I don't read it. Um, but you wouldn't see me reading one of those hippie versions of the Bible with all street language, hip-hop Jesus stuff. You give me a scenario, I can tell you how I can make somebody fight about it. How about politics? Politics, easy. Christians are all Republicans, Craig. We've known that from day one. How about music? Uh, music. The music's too loud. Do I have five people singing? Can we really play secular music in the church? Come on! This is, this is kids' play here. How about entertainment? Entertainment? Uh, did you see what I did to Disney? I'm the king! I rest my case, Craig. I can't let the church be united. Uh, I mean, you've, you've heard the saying, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's in the Bible. It's what, it's in the Bible? Wow, wow, that's, that's embarrassing. Can we, I'm sorry. Satan, have you ever been to a church board meeting? Absolutely, I go every Tuesday. If you've never seen a deacon just straight up cuss in the middle of church at another deacon, it's, it's a sight to behold. We laugh because it's so true. I've been at some of those meetings, man. Woo! And you know what? That's spiritual warfare. You get to the point where people, Christians, so-called Christians, are actually cursing at one another, screaming at yelling at one another. There's a demon in your midst. Not all of our battles against flesh and blood. But notice the one thing that the enemy constantly works at us is to what? To get us to do what he does to be unified. They're unified. They're working in their hierarchical structure. They're working against us. And so the one thing that he will work against us is to get us to do the exact opposite, to disruption, disorder, disunity in the church. He knows that if we could ever get unified as a group of believers like him, then guess what? We could work against him. We could work against his plans. We could work against the evil things that he's up to. We in Christ can make a difference. He can't take away our salvation. Can't take away the Bible. But if he keeps us all dividing and hating each other, working against each other instead of against him, it's exactly what's going on. You know, one of my favorite stories, uh, illustrations of unity in the church and the need for it has got to be this one. There's this executive. He, he died and he went to heaven. And he gets there and he, he sees all the former executives and they're separated into two groups. And the failures are in one hall and the successful executives are in the other. <clears throat> and so around mealtime, he enters the hall and he, see, he sees those who failed. And he was surprised to find that they were thin and they were hungry looking and almost starving. Well, the angels, they come in and they, they begin to serve dinner and, and they have tons of food. There's large platters of delicious food that were placed before the table. And, but before anyone was seated, another angel came along and strapped a long iron spoon on each of the executive's arm. Okay? And the long handle of the spoon was fastened to the wrists and the biceps, making it impossible to bend the arm. So you're kind of stuck like that. Big dinner spoon. Says, Ugh. Right? Well, this goes on. He says, that's what he saw. And he says, as a result, no one was able to lift the spoon to his mouth. Right? You can get in the food, but you couldn't get it to your mouth. Well, he walks over to the hall of the executives that had succeeded, and he was surprised. These guys are well-fed and hungry. You know, what's going on? Well, dinner was already on the table. The angel had just finished strapping the last of the long iron spoons on the arms of the diners, and here's what he saw. The reason why they succeeded, the ones who were well-fed uh, and healthy, because each of those executives dipped his spoon into the food, and then he fed it to the executive across from him. You understand? It's not about me. Just feeding me. It's all about me, me. It's about Christians being what? Unified. We're part of the family of God. And I'm not internally focused. That's Satanism. Self. All about self. It's all about me. What can, what can me? 
But Christ says, no, it's outward focus. It's, it's, it's feed the others. It, what's the words that we use about the church? We need to love one another. Take care of one another. Right? Even sometimes admonish one another. But what? We're the family of God. And when Christians are busy being outward focused and we're unified, feeding each other, guess what? We're strong. We're healthy. We're well spiritually fed. We are unified. Okay? And when we're unified, it's not just healthy for us. It keeps us from being starving, frail, ineffective Christians. And we start doing great things for Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. Not all of our battles are against flesh and blood. There's real life evil forces out there working together against us. And one of the things he's always going to work against is you and I ever coming together as a family of God. In your walk with Christ, he'll try to work against you and get something to cause division between you and Jesus. Could be this world, could be sin, could be both. Your marriage, it's always going to try to drive you right down the middle. Divide. Divide and conquer. They're working against us. In your church, oh, you got this group doing that. That group's doing this. This, so, you know, they're, And they're just worried about feeding themselves. A healthy, powerful, active, on fire, godly, fruitful church is ones that both hands are just stuck out like that. And they stay that way. And you're not worried about yourself because it ain't about you. But you know what? Your needs will be taken care of too because somebody else out there has their hands out and they'll feed you too. That's the church. And that's what the enemy wants to destroy. And that's what Paul, he warns us about this. He says, you better take this serious, folks. Galatians 5, 15, he says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, Christian, you better watch out. You're going to what? You're going to destroy each other. When the church is divided, we destroy each other. When the church is unified, it's healthy, great things can happen. The enemy knows this. So we have to realize the sooner than later, the enemy knows the power of unity. The enemy is using a unified hierarchical structure against us. And so if we're going to work against him, we got to do the same thing. And we got to be on the lookout for any sign that he's trying to mess the unity up. This is why there is a need for victory here. This is why God gives us the armor. One person, they put it this way. They say, listen, too many Christians have failed to realize that we are engaged in this titanic struggle of the ages, that they were drafted into God's army the moment they were saved by grace through faith. Listen, I love this. He says, the church is not a cruise ship, and the pastor is not the master of ceremonies. It's not a showboat, it's a battleship. And we are called to see Satan's strongholds, listen, crumble under the power of heaven's artillery. We do not have the luxury of neutrality. We must engage in the fight. To be ignorant of our calling and the magnitude of this great struggle is a dangerous ignorance. We are at spiritual war. A truce will never be called. God's will, listen, for his saints is not that we merely just survive, but we thrive in absolute, total victory every time. How? You put the armor on, you leave it on, and you do what he says and move forward in Christ. That's why he gives us the armor. It's designed for victory. There's a need in verse 12. Now, we're going to see the solution for that. Okay, and that's the other verses surrounding verse 12. This is really, really cool, okay? Let's take a look at God's solution for victory, okay? How do you stand against this? How do you stand firm? Every single day, they're coming against us. They're working against us in a hierarchical structure, against, 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 against. And we'll be tempted to get all freaked out and get afraid, right? No, just do what God says to do. And I don't think it's by chance that he says this right before and right after verse 12, to me, it's like the armor of God sandwich, right? <laughs> it's right I mean, on the other side, God's got the solution uh, above and below. Watch this, Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, then 13. Here's the solution. The problem's in the middle. Here's the solution, before and after. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to what? 
to stand, okay? Now, notice what God says here. This is his solution for spiritual warfare to experience victory every single time, right? It's a solution, again, that's tucked right before and tucked right after the problem that's right there in the middle, completely surrounding verse 12. If you just look at verse 12, you will get freaked out, but you need to look at what's around verse 12, the solution in the front and in the back. God tells us two things. What do you do? It's not freak out and run to the hills, it's not freak out and put your head in the sand. That's what the church is doing. It's this. You stand strong in God's mighty power and you put on that full armor of God. That's it. Now, I got to take a little detour, a detour here. Notice this, and we'll get into this, Lord willing, in the next study in greater detail. But notice it says it's just two things. Here's the battle, verse 12. It's really real. They're working against you in a hierarchical fashion. It's real demons in this hierarchical structure. But guess what? Here's all you got to do, church. Here's the sandwich. Here's the bread above and below. Here's what you do. Stand firm. Stand strong in the mighty power of God. Put on the armor of God. That's it. That's not what people are doing today. Have you noticed what's going on in the church? And again, we'll get into this much more later. Listen, they're doing anything and everything but that. And then you wonder why there's so much weird, whacked out, demonic behavior going on. Did you notice that he didn't say there, surrounding verse 12, he did not say scream at a demon. He didn't say, shout at the devil. He didn't say, call out the spirit of so-and-so and you blind him. No! You stand strong in the mighty power of God. Put on the full armor of God. Boom! Stand! That's it! Now, this is important because much of the church today is doing everything but what God says to do. They're not following the solution. And dare I say, some of their so-called solutions, which are not of God, they're actually inviting demonic activity. Now, let's take a look at what the scripture says. The scripture says, when it comes to Satan... All right, here's all you do. Don't scream at a demon. No shout at the devil. Don't bind this man. Right? Let's take a look at what God says to do. Right? It's these three passages. Right? 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be self-controlled and alert. Again, wake up. This is real. It's happening. Okay, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Okay, it really goes on. But what do you do? Resist him. That's it. Resist him. There's the word. Standing Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. What's the word there? Resist. That's it. Resist the devil, and what's going to happen? He will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 13. Same thing. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. There it is again. That's the word. Stand. Stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. What we see here in these verses is God's solution For even if the actual devil himself showed up, God tells you the solution. And it's just this, stand and resist. There's no gimmicks here. There's no screaming. There's no buy my spiritual techniques. No, you need to just sit there and deal with it until I, the spiritual guru, can somehow show up because I'm way spiritual more than you because you're just so low beneath me. I'll just come. I'm the only one that has the power to. No. What's he say? Sam. Resist. Now, here's what's cool. Here comes some Greek. You ready for Greeking? Greeking out? The words there in all three of those passages for stand and resist, it's the exact same Greek word. Same word. One word. So now you can narrow it down to one thing. And that's the Greek word, listen to this, anahistomy. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what English word we get from that. Anahistamine. For those of you hooked on allergies. Right? Anahistamine, right? Now, antihistamine, let's break that apart. Why do we choose that word for that medicine? Because antihistamine is the medicine we take for allergies that what? That block, that's the word anti, to block the histamines, those things that are calling, uh, causing the allergies, right? Okay, this is what antihistamine in the Greek means. It means to block, to set oneself against, to oppose, to resist, to withstand. That's it. No screaming, no shouting, none of that stuff. Now let's flip it around. Anybody here suffering from allergies? Okay, a lot of us, right? So here's what we do, right? Here's what you need to do every single time if you start to find yourself on the verge of a sneeze. What you do, you scream at the spirit of hay fever. That's what you do. No, 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 no. No, you call out those dust mites and you name them by name. No, I rebuke the spirit of pollen. I bind you with the... You don't do that. First of all, you would look awfully goofy yeah, really goofy, if you actually did that. But more importantly, would it work? 
No! Well, guess what? That's about as goofy as some of the stuff going on in the church today. I bind you in this and the spirit of that and that and you buy my but You ain't going to do nothing. God didn't say do none of that stuff. That's not God's medicine. That's not his antihistamine. Okay? God says, listen, it's the same thing with spiritual warfare. You take his solution. What's his solution? You don't scream at a demon. You don't call out the devil. You don't rebuke the spirit of strongholds and all that verbiage there. You take his solution. You do what he says to do. What's going to block it? It's when you stand firm in his mighty power and put on the armor of God. That's it. That's God's antihistamine. The enemy cannot bust through that. It blocks it from ever occurring. And again, we're going to get into that in much greater detail. But again, where I'm wanting to, we'll get into that Lord one next time because, man, some of the people are being led astray. But notice what he says there in that first part. It's two parts, right? Stand f- strong in God's mighty power and put on the armor of God. Let's just deal with that first part. That's all I got time to deal with, right? The first, the first aspect of the medicine, right? Stand strong, not in what? Not in your own strength. Stand strong, not in somebody else's technique. Stand strong, not in this little formula that somebody whooped up because they wrote a, a book on 18 steps and how to deal with this and repeat this. And it's No, it stands strong in what? Not even just God's power. What does it say there? God's mighty power. Now, this is cool because it's the Greek word iskus kratos, and it's not just kratos. Kratos is power. It means power. It means force. It means strength. It's not just that. God is appealing to us to, here's your first piece of medicine. You want to get rid of the, the, the demons? You want to keep them? You want to block them? Keep them away? Just like allergies? Here's my medicine. First thing, you stand strong in the iskus krastas. You stand strong in God's mighty power. You stand strong in God's mighty force. You stand strong in God's mighty strength. The emphasis here is God is making this appeal. Would you don't stand strong in your own strength? Don't stand strong in all these formulistic things and this spirit and that's No! You stand strong in the mighty, undefeatable, amazing power of God. Why? Because the enemy cannot and never will defeat it. Nobody can bust through the power of God. It's the ultimate antihistamine. It'll block it every single time. And I'm talking spiritual warfare. That's why God says, because you put that up. If that's what you're standing with in the mighty power, nothing could bust through that. Not a demon, not even Satan himself. You just stand resist in the mighty power of God and he will flee from you. Why? Because that's how powerful God is. The enemy cannot withstand God's power. Now, as we get ready to close, I just want to give you a taste because we all say, oh, that's one of those Christianese phrases, right? God's power, God's power. I know God's powerful, God's power. Let me just, what does he mean by iskus kratos? Just how powerful is God? Let me give you real quick four ways we see that in the scripture. First of all, he demonstrates his iskus kratos in miracles, God, oh, just awesome. Here's just one passage, right? We're going to blow through these pretty quick. Matthew 8, 24 through 27. Without warning, a fury storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was freaking out. He was wringing his hands. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. <laughs> he wasn't worried. He was sleeping, right? The disciples went. They woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied, you a little faith. Why are you afraid? Don't you understand who's in the boat with you? Christian, when you're going through the spiritual battle, don't you understand who's walking with you? Don't you understand who is inside of you, the Spirit of God? Saying the same thing today. Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves. It was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now folks, I don't have time to get into all the different miracles that Jesus did. Here's just one of them that the disciples were literally in the Greek there blown out of their minds. I mean, this guy, he just gets up and he speaks to the waves and and the wind and... Wow, what kind of power is that? It's Cruz Kratos. And that's just the iceberg. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus performing all kinds of miracles. I don't have time to get into it. He walked on water. He, He healed the sick, any kind of disease, at any time, just like that, every single time. It wasn't some fake thing like, oh, I have this headache and I went to this guy and I got rid of my headache and two hours later, it's back. When Jesus healed, he healed completely. None of this fake stuff. He healed any kind of disease. He cured the the blind. He raised the dead. Here's the miracle. He saved you (laughs) and me. (laughs) Turn to somebody and say, man, God's powerful. (laughs) Look at you. (laughs) Right? That's what he did. But here's the point. Anybody who can command the winds, the wave, uh, they walk on water, they raise the dead, they save a bunch of wretches like you and me. Woo! That's pretty powerful. 
right? That's just one of them, okay? The second way, did you know Jesus also destroyed Satan? He's a defeated foe. See, we got to keep reading the scripture, folks. Yes, praise God, Jesus died for our sins, but he came to destroy the one who instituted sin. And this is what we see here, folks. First uh, John 3, 8, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the what? The beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to what? To destroy the work of the devil. Jesus came not just to forgive us of our sins, praise God for that, but the scripture's clear. He came to destroy the one who started the whole thing in the first place. Satan. I don't have time to get into it. Other passages, especially Colossians 1, tells us that Jesus stripped the devil of his power. The Lord exposed him, shattered him, defeated him on the cross. And because of that, Satan is a defeated foe. He is, listen, currently on death row, awaiting his final sentence in the lake of fire. Listen, he is not a loose cannon on deck. He only gets to do what God allows him to do. He's a defeated foe. So, I don't know. I'd say anybody who could reduce the devil himself to a pipsqueak of a rat and put him on a chain. That's pretty powerful. That's Iskus Kratos. Two more. He defeated death. Oh, anybody glad about that, by the way? Yeah. yeah uh, okay. All, the rest of you, apparently you are dead. But anyway, <laughs> okay. But let's take a look at that. Why did Jesus come? What kind of power? 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 57. Where, oh, death is your victory? Woohoo! Where, oh, death is your sting. Looking straight in the eye, man. <laughs> You're the one that lost death. Why? Because thanks be to God, he, God, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The Bible says Jesus, praise God, came to forgive us of all our sins. Praise God, he destroyed the one who instituted sin. But Jesus defeated death itself. Listen, the scripture, Hebrew says that we are no longer slaves to the fear of death. You understand that? We don't have to be afraid of dying because we know for sure our last breath here is our first breath in heaven. Christ has demonstrated the power of defeating death. And, and that's good news because we're all afraid of something. Some people it's elevators. Some people it's spiders. Some people it's chicken, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's one universal fear everybody on the planet has. It's the universal fear of death. Oh, we don't talk about it because it's kind of a bummer at work. Hey, Bob, if you t let's talk about dying. <laughs> When's the last time you died? Really? I'm going to try to make it the last thing I do. <laughs> you know, so, but nobody talks about that. It's kind of a bummer. Guess what? We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds. Everybody is secretly afraid. But listen, not for the Christian. We are no longer slaves of being afraid of the fear of death. Because listen, when we die, listen, Jesus has reduced death to a beautiful transition into eternal bliss. He turned our greatest fear into our greatest reward. Now that's powerful. One more and we're going to close. Why does God say, stand in my mighty power? Why is this step one of the medicine, the antihistamine, that no way the enemy can come through? Why is he telling us to stand in this power? Because, man, God is so, no wonder the enemy's defeated. And we see that finally in his display of creation, right? Let's take a look at that classic passage from Paul, Romans 1. The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is what? It's plain to them. How do they know God's real? How do they know he's powerful? How does he know he really exists? Because God's made it plain to them. How? For since the creation, what he's made, the creation world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Right? The scripture says, listen, God, he not only made the creation so we would come to a knowledge of him, because that's common sense. Only God could do this. And then we, as we saw before in our creation evolution studies, intelligent design, only God could design that. There's nothing in life that's by chance, right? But he not only created the world so that we'd come to a knowledge of him, he not only, listen, created the world so we'd have a place to live. Anybody glad that you have planet Earth to live on? That sure beats floating in space like that, that, that guy in the Tesla car, apparently, that's going around the orbit. That guy, he's just... Anyway, you know, but God created the world, the earth, listen, so that we would know he exists, we'd have a place to live, but listen, also so we should be able to wake up, and when you take a look at the magnificence of his creation, you go, whoa, God is powerful. He's not just Kratos, he's Iskus Kratos. And I'm talking when you go all the way out on the telescope, or you go all the way down the microscope, it just blows you away. And so let's get a taste of that. Okay, how powerful is God in his creation? Let's take a look.
far as you go that way, as far as you go that way, wherever you go, what's the Bible say on top of that? God didn't just do that. Out of nothing. God just says, let there be. Boom! All that came into existence. And that's still the tip of the iceberg. In fact, I don't have time to get into it. Ephesians chapter 1, the same chapter with the armor of God. Paul talks about the creation event there. And in the Greek, if you want to Greek out again, it's awesome. <laughs> it gives the idea that God, when he did this, uh, he's doing it kind of in a casual way. All that. It's kind of like he's, he's, you're throwing a magazine on a coffee table. Eh, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's really what it says. God, just, eh, okay, yeah. It, next. Something else? This is God's solution for dealing with spiritual warfare. Anybody who could just casually throw the whole world, the whole universe into existence, all of life, out of nothing, just go, boom, let there be, and there it is. I'd say they're pretty powerful. So is it any wonder, this is what Paul is saying God is calling us to do. Here's your antihistamine. Here's all you got to do. You don't need to scream with the devil, shout the devil, I bind the spirit of these, I got to No! You just stand there in the mighty power of God. Why? Because nobody can beat through that. There's no spiritual allergy that's going to make it through that antihistamine. Right? You just stand firm in God's mighty power. You put on that full armor of God and have a great day. You'll be standing in the day of evil when it comes. Isn't that awesome? The armor is designed for victory. Not for fear, not to freak you out, not for sensationalism. Yeah! It's awesome. So my question is this. Okay, so that's the solution. It's a two-part solution. It's like two pieces of medicine God gives us, right? In, in that, that spiritual sandwich there with verse 12. Here's the problem, but here's the solution. And the first one is that you, you stand strong in God's mighty power, and you put on that armor. Well, that first part, stand strong. Remember what we saw last week, what it says there in the Greek? There's something we, it's very important. It's not just stand strong. The armor is put it on now and leave it on. The power in the Greek, it's in the continuance. So it literally says, you need to daily be strengthened in the mighty power of God. You need to daily, consistently, every single day, you need to stand strong and be strengthened in the mighty power of God. Do you see the difference there? So my question then is, man, I want this solution because nothing could bust through that. This is great news. I want that victory. But the question is, well, how do you practically, because that's a Christian statement, stand strong in the power of God. Okay, I'll do that. What's he talking about, Bob? I have no idea. <laughs> we do that all the time, don't we? So practically, how do you stand strong every single day in that kind of power that no devil, no demon can ever make it through? Anybody want to know that? Me too. Lord willing, we'll get to that one next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need to save your, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. 
And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.